All right, Salt Company. You guys can take a seat. Yeah, what's up? What's up? Wow. It's great to be with you guys tonight. Who liked the, did anybody have a taco? Was, was it tasty? Was it super, I don't know, was it good? I was looking at some of them and they looked like maybe some of the messiest tacos I've ever seen. Not, you know, not wrap, wrapped super tightly, but they look tasty. So, hope you enjoyed that. Uh, man, I hope your break was great. I hope it was restful. I hope your Christmas was full of jolly and your new year full of hope. Uh, but just want to welcome you guys back. Like I said earlier, my name is Austin. I, uh, a big thing happened for me over break. Guys, I turned 25. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. You're looking at me and you're like, that guy's not 25. But anyway, uh, I had a, a sweet break, but I wanted to share a little highlight with you. It was actually just last night that me and my wife got to skate for the first time in our backyard. Guys, we made an ice rink in our backyard. I, we feel like true Minnesotans. Uh, my, so my wife's name is Cora. She's actually here tonight. She may have helped give you some Baja Blast. She is awesome. She's my best friend. Her and I, we live in South Minneapolis together, and uh, we've loved living there. But me, for myself, I was a U University of Minnesota student. Graduated in 2021, go Gophers. And uh, I was a part of Salt Company when I was a student, and now I've got the privilege of helping lead it alongside a great team. So I'm just happy to be here tonight. We're gonna do the same thing that we do throughout the rest of the year, which is open up the Bible and see what God has for us. We think that that's actually his word revealed to us, and so we think it's got important things to say. But before I get into that, I've got a question for you. My question is, do you miss high school? No, you don't. High school is the thing that you do not want to think about right now. We're in, this is college ministry. I don't want to think about high school. Goodness sakes. I was thinking back to high school a little bit because, you know, Christmas time. It's a little nostalgic. So I was thinking, it back, uh, thinking back to my days at Burnsville High School. Go blaze, you know? And I would ride around with my buddies, you know? We'd hop in the car, go get fast food, whatever, play basketball, listen to, uh, if you're reading This Is Too Late, you know, that was the album of my high school days. Uh, but it reminded me of this system that we had as a group of friends. We called it the homie fund. It was a system of balancing the checkbook, if you will, okay? So if we were to go to McDonald's, and I didn't have my wallet. No need to fear. There was the homie fund. I would just whisper to my buddy, hey, I, I don't think I can pay for it this time. You got me? Yeah, of course. Put it on the homie fund. Okay, and then the next time, if we were to go somewhere else, my friend paid for me, so it was my turn to pay up, right? Okay, it's the homie fund. Back and forth. That, the expectation is that at the end of this, we're all going to end up even, Right? It's a, it's a running plus or minus on how much I owe somebody. Sometimes it might be as small as $1 to $5, but in extreme cases, it might be, you know, up to closer to 40 or 50 bucks. But it was the homie fund, okay? We'd pay for each other, but at the end of the day, we were keeping score, right? We were saying, in essence, to each other, man, I love you enough. I'm not going to let you suffer. I'm going to pay for you. I'm going to pay for your McDonald's, but... 
I know that it was $4.23. So the next time, you better be able to pay up, right? I love you enough to pay for you, but I'm keeping score. Okay? And interestingly enough, we're going to look at a text in the Bible tonight, a story from Luke chapter 7. If you've got a Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 7. Jesus actually tells a story about the homie fund. He really does. He, does he use the exact words, homie fund? No, of course he doesn't. But he's telling us a story about running a, a plus or minus on owing payment towards somebody. And interestingly enough, we're going to see that Jesus has something to say about maybe we treat our relationship with God this way. Maybe in our minds, we're going about our life thinking that there's a running plus or minus on what we owe God. That God relates to us kind of like me and my buddies with the homie fund. God loves me enough to give me life. That God loves me enough to give me certain gifts along the way. God loves me enough even to pay for my wrongs. But at the end of the day, he's keeping score. And he expects us throughout our life to to pay him back. I've got to work enough, do enough good to make, he, to make God proud of me, to kind of cover for all the wrong that I have done. And it all determines my eternity. So, man, if I don't pay God back, if I'm net negative at the end of my life, then I'm going to spend eternity in hell. And if I'm net zero, then I make it into heaven. And if I'm net positive, If I've been good enough to do so many good things that outweigh the bad, maybe I'll get like a Bugatti or like an infinity pool in my heaven home, right? Sounds kind of nice. We've got this running score that God loves me enough to pay for me, but ultimately I owe him something. And it's up to me to pay him back. Is that how we're thinking of our relationship with God? Jesus is telling us a story about that tonight from Luke chapter 7. He's got bad news for us, but he's also got good news for us. Because I'm not sure if you came here tonight because you're kind of on a new payment plan. Maybe the new year had some goals for you saying, man, it's time for me to pay back God. It's time for me to start doing good things so that he'll approve of me, so that I'm not indebted to him anymore. And so maybe that's the reason why you're at Soul Company tonight. That this is sort of an effort to kind of pay God back a little bit. And the good news, or or sorry, the bad news that Jesus is going to present to us tonight through the story is that we've got insufficient funds. No matter how many times we might show up somewhere, we are not going to be able to pay him back. But the good news what we're going to see is that somebody has totally canceled the debt. Canceled it altogether. Let's read in Luke chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 36. If you guys need a Bible, by the way, we've got free ones in the back. They're kind of in the vestibule thing. They're blue. They're great. You can have it forever. But we're going to start Luke chapter 7, verse 36. This is what it says. One of the Pharisees asked him, to eat with him. They're talking about Jesus. 
So a Pharisee invited Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that, she, that he was reclining at table with the, in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. So this is the introduction to the story. And I want to just clarify a couple things and introduce you to the characters of our story, right? We've got three of them, okay? We've got the Pharisee, we've got the woman, and we've got Jesus. These are our three characters. What do you think of when you think of the word Pharisee? Maybe you've been around Christianity a little while to kind of develop, and you've read You've read the Bible, so you, you've started to, to develop your definition of what is Pharisee? What does that really mean? Here's what the people would have thought of when they saw a Pharisee uh, or heard the word. They would have thought, Minnesota nice. They would have thought of the good dads, the good husbands, the good neighbors, the type of guy that's going to shovel the snow off of your driveway. The type of guy that's going to give you their golf clubs when they're done with them because they got a new set and they want you to learn how to golf. Or they're the type of guy that's going to take you to coffee when you move into the neighborhood. Guys, I'm describing my literal neighbor, Tom. He is awesome. This is what people thought of when they thought of Pharisees. We might have started to develop this like kind of hatred for the Pharisee thinking they're the bad guy. In this day, they were the good guys. They were the people on the front lines of society trying to hold it together. In a, in a context that was becoming more and more riddled with injustice, they stood on the front lines trying to hold the community together. They were the good guys. Morally upright, always doing the right thing, protective of the family, of the community of faith. They were trying to be the good guys. And so just like any good neighbor would, this Pharisee invited Jesus over for a meal. Maybe they would share a hot dish or something, you know, reclining at the table together. He's just being a good neighbor. But as they're reclining at table, we get introduced to the second character of the story, the woman. What does the text describe her as? A woman of the city. Man, they knew exactly what this meant in their day. What kind of person do you think of when you think of a woman of the city? Here is what people of that day would have thought of and what they totally put her in a box right away. They, they thought she was dirty, promiscuous, don't want to know exactly where she's been, probably been with more men than she can count, but she knows exactly how to get a man's attention, knows exactly how to get a man to love her, but actually the love doesn't really last for that long, just for one night maybe. 
the type that gets the attention from, the across, from across the street, but it's not with looks of approval. It's with looks of disgust. She was a woman of the city. The fact that these two characters are in the same room at the same time is already shocking. This was wild. But then we see what the woman was actually doing as the men reclined at the table. Did you catch it? This is odd. Look again at verse 37. And behold, the woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that, she w- that they were reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Okay, do you have the mental picture of what's going on here? This is crazy. What is the woman doing? Is this a Minnesota January where everybody's hands and feet are super cracked and so she's just being really kind and putting lotion on Jesus' feet? No, what is she doing? This is something way more deep than we might realize. She's saying thank you to Jesus. She's honoring him. The alabaster flask of ointment was probably ridiculously expensive. And she had to break the glass in order to get the contents out. All the while, she's weeping at the feet of Jesus. Think of how humiliating this is. In in the best way possible, this is humiliating because she's so unashamed to give everything that she's got to Jesus. She's saying, thank you. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later, why she's saying thank you, but she is just totally giving herself, saying thank you to Jesus. And what does the Pharisee think about all of this? He basically scoffs at her, and in his own mind is thinking, I can't believe she's here. Who invited her? She doesn't deserve to be at this table. If Jesus knew what type of woman she was, he wouldn't want her here. All this going on in the Pharisee's mind, but Jesus sees to the heart, knows what's going on in the Pharisee's head, and knows the woman, and wants to share a story, a powerful, punchy word to both of them. So so this is what he says. This is picking up in verse 40. Jesus tells a parable. This is what it says. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, that's the Pharisee's name, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. A denarii, by the way, was a full day's wages. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them would love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. 
you gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who has forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. So what Jesus shared right there was a parable. It's a, it's a short, punchy little story meant to teach a moral or spiritual lesson. And Jesus told a bunch of these parables, and they are absolute gold. If you would read through one of the biographies of Jesus' life, you would hear a bunch of these parables taught, and they are fantastic, but they always leave people wondering what they really meant. They're sticky. They're memorable. But you always leave wondering, what did that really say to me? Here's the wild thing that Jesus reveals in this parable. It is a direct, a, a direct lesson towards this encounter that he's having with these two people. He's telling them that this is not an encounter with one good person and one bad person. This is not a story of one person who deserves to be in the presence of Jesus and one person who doesn't. This is not a story of one person who managed to pay off their debt while the other person didn't. Jesus is saying this is a story of desperation. Of two people who both have insufficient funds. His parable mentioned two people that were in debt to a moneylender but neither of them were able to pay them off. I think it's easy sometimes as we're reading this to kind of put ourselves in the camp of one of the characters. So I'm not sure which one it was for you, whether it was the Pharisee or whether it was the woman, but at, wherever you're at tonight, the fundamental thing that both of these characters have in common is that they are both in debt. That's what Jesus is trying to draw to the attention of the Pharisee is that both of them are in debt. Not one or the other. So wherever you're at, I, would, I hope to just unpack this parable and to each person in the room, the Pharisee or the woman, apply this to you. So first, a word to the Pharisee. Now that's tricky because everybody just checked out, right? I'm not a Pharisee. That's the interesting thing about being a Pharisee is a Pharisee doesn't know that they're a Pharisee. They're the good guys, right? And so the trick of being a Pharisee is that you think you're the one that's doing everything right. You're the thing, you're the one who thinks that you're on the right side. You're the one that thinks you've got it all together, but you're missing a little bit. And so just, you know, just in case there might be a little bit of Pharisee in you, let's, let's do a little bit of self-examination. And if there's a little bit of self-examination that, that reveals that there is a little bit of Pharisee, then maybe we can pay attention to this word here. So the simple test to see if there's any Pharisee in you is to ask the question to yourself, do I ever look down on people? Isn't that what the Pharisee was doing right here? The woman comes into the room and immediately thinking to himself, 
He didn't say this out loud, but thinking to himself, who is she? If Jesus knew who she was, he wouldn't want her here. The sign of a Pharisee is someone who looks down on other people. Do you look down on people? Now, before you answer no, think about any time you've been just walking around campus. You got a lot of people to look at. What are the kind of things you're saying to yourself? Oof, wouldn't have worn that. <laughs> Little too much perfume today, right? Man, glad I don't live in that house. If there's language of, man, I can't believe they would say that. Oh, you should really think about doing this. If you're great at recognizing other people's mistakes and not willing to admit your own, maybe there's a little bit of Pharisee in you. But don't get it twisted here. I think sometimes we can just put like religious people in this camp. Man, if you're religious, you think you've got it all together, you follow the right rules, and everybody that doesn't do that is sort of less than. Here's the tricky thing about being a Pharisee. You can look down on people who look down on people. And you're still looking down on people there. So you could be pharisaical in looking at the religious people and thinking that they're the messed up ones and thinking that they're less than. It's a trap. Maybe there's a little bit of Pharisee in all of us. Maybe there's something about the human condition where each of us are a little bent out of shape and think we're just better than the next person. What's going on here with the Pharisee is not just a problem with the outward expression of what's going on. It's an inward reality that's happening here. So what's the fix? Is the fix to just kind of slap on some good works to try and like be better and then all of this will go away? Or what's the solution for the Pharisee? You know, when I was growing up, my parents in the backyard had a plum tree. Anybody else have a plum tree? It was cute, purple leaves, and uh, they would, I actually don't remember what season that they would become ready to eat, but they were pretty delicious. Now imagine if I was kind of bored with the plum tree, didn't really like how it tasted anymore, and I wanted oranges. We love oranges, right? And so then I go to the store, buy some fresh oranges, and start taping the oranges to the plum tree. Perfect solution. We've got an orange tree now. Matter of months, we're going to sprout some new fresh oranges. It's going to be delicious. No, of course not. Goodness sakes, it's still a plum tree. You can't just attach a fruit to a tree with some tape and expect that the entire tree is different. In the same way, you can't just attach good works to a sinful person and expect that they're now good. The problem was not with the fruit. The problem was with the tree itself. And so the solution to the Pharisee is not to just try and attach some good works to your life to try and make up for the ways that you've gone wrong. The solution is for a complete transformation of the heart. 
And there's only one way that that can happen. Trading places with Jesus. Believing that inside of you is not good at all, but it's bent out of shape. And being desperate for God to transform you. But in order to do that, you need to admit that you're wrong too. And that's hard. But it's so worth it. So simple exercise is to just pile up all of your good deeds, throw them in the trash. Pile up all your bad ones too, throw those in the trash. And fall at the feet of Jesus, and just like the woman, weep and ask him to pay your debt for you. Now a word to the woman. For those that associate with the woman in this situation, maybe there's some people in the room that have a past that was similar to hers. Maybe you ran far away from God and tried to find joy and purpose in a whole bunch of different things. It could be anything, but what you wanted to do was get away from God and experience pleasure in a different way. For that person that's in the room, I just want to say that I'm stoked that you're here. You're in the right place. And just like the woman in this story, you are welcome at the table. Maybe part of your story, though, isn't that you were actually running away from Jesus because of Jesus. Maybe your story is that you were running away from Jesus because of the Pharisee that was having dinner with him. Maybe you ran far away from Jesus because of the person that was looking down on you. You ran away from Jesus because you didn't want somebody to point out your sin when they wouldn't admit their own. That makes a lot of sense. That totally sucks. And I just want to say, I'm sorry for the way that Pharisees have totally ruined the character of Jesus, but there's good news tonight. That Jesus is not a Pharisee. He doesn't look down on you. He's not disappointed with you. He is so glad that you're walking back towards him. C.S. Lewis once said this quote that I love. It says, God is not proud. He will always take us back, even after we've shown him that we prefer everything else over him. That's true for you tonight. Maybe this is your comeback. A time for you to say, man, I've tried everything else. I don't want it. I want Jesus. And he'll take you back. Every time. So my plea for you tonight, if you are the woman, is that you would fall at the feet of Jesus and ask him to pay off your debt. Tonight, you can decide that the defining moment of your life is not something that you did five years ago. Not something you did last semester, over break, or even last night, but the defining moment of your life can be 2,000 years ago when Jesus hung on a cross, died in your place, and rose from the grave to prove that you can have relationship with God. That can be your defining moment tonight. That's how he paid off your debt. 
He's saying to you that you are not your failures. You are not your past. You are loved, adopted, chosen, and redeemed in Christ, a new creation. You are forgiven. And so whether you see yourself as the Pharisee or as the woman, both get to admit that they have a debt to pay. Whether you ran away from God or have just been trying to pay him off yourself by trusting in your own good works, the bottom line is the same. Both have a debt to pay and neither of them can pay it off with their own funds. We've got insufficient funds, all of us. And yet, both of them have a way back to God. How? How can two people so different, with two totally different worldviews, how can both of them have the same way back to God? Let's see how Jesus comes into the story. Because we've said many things about the Pharisee, we've said many things about the woman, but there is one thing that you need to know about the third character of the story. Jesus He's the only one in the story that has no debt. He's the only one in the story that's on totally good terms with God. He always has been. He never looked down on anybody. He never ran away from the Father. Jesus is the only one to be perfectly righteous, the only one who doesn't have any debt. So where does he show up in the parable that he tells? Let's look again. This is verse 41. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Neither person had the ability to pay, but both were canceled. If this were the homie fund, <laughs> if this were the homie fund, and I paid for my buddy's McDonald's and he could not pay me back. Who ends up absorbing the cost of that McDonald's? I do. The one who lent money in the first place. Where is Jesus in the story? He's lending the money. And who absorbs the cost? Jesus. In this story, the money lender is the one who absorbs the deficit. He takes on himself the cost of the loan. Guys, in most stories where there's one character who racks up a debt to pay, the other person, if this is some like crime movie, the other person is spending their whole life going through loads of trouble to find that person and demand payment. You have got to pay me back. And if they aren't able to do it in cash, then they're going to have to pay with their life. Jesus went through an immense amount of trouble, spending his whole life hunting you down, saying, hey, you've got a debt to pay, but he did not demand that your life cover the cost. No, instead, he spent his whole life searching for you to tell you, hey, I'm gonna give my life instead of yours. You had a debt to pay, and you couldn't pay it. And Jesus decided to give himself to pay it off. What mercy. Jesus paid it all. This is why the cross is so unbelievably beautiful. 
Because the one man who had no debt decided to pay off anyone who would say, I need help. That's all it takes. Admitting that you can't pay yourself and you need him to do it for you. Jesus died so that you could be restored to God. He died so that the Pharisee would be restored. He died so that the woman would be restored. That no matter what you've done, you can be confident that God accepts you and loves you and approves of you because of what Jesus did on your behalf. No one is so good that they don't need mercy, but nobody is so bad that they can't have it. And so the response for all of us is to admit our insufficient funds and ask for Jesus to pay on our behalf. And if we do that, Jesus trades lives with us. He takes our debt and gives us his full inheritance, which means we have complete peace with God, the thing that he earned. We have that. Not because of something that we've done, but because of the simple substitute. This is the craziest thing ever, but it is such great news. Available for every person in the room. But there are two tragedies that could happen. And I want to acknowledge both. One, thinking, you know, leaving here, believing that God won't accept you when he will. And the second tragedy is leaving here, believing that you have already been accepted by God when you haven't because you've just been trusting in yourself. Both are tragedies. And so tonight I just invite you to take on a simple posture of admitting debt, admitting insufficient funds, and asking Jesus to pay in your place. And there's really only one response. If that is what you want to say tonight, there's one response. It's gratitude. It's saying thank you. That's really all we have to say. Thank you for the blood that you spared on my behalf, that you shed on my behalf so that I don't have to. So we're going to pray. I'm going to thank God for what he's done. And then we're going to sing songs that just say thank you for Jesus paying for our debt. Let's, let's do that together. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for what Jesus has done for us for this beautiful story that shows how all of us, no matter who we are, God, we are in debt and we can't pay on our own, so we need your help. But God, thank you for sending Jesus on our behalf, that his perfect life, that his death on the cross, and that his resurrection on the third day it purchases for us what we could never achieve on our own. Eternal life and communion with you, that we would actually be able to live at peace with you, God, and be totally good. Thank you that we have been restored to relationship with you, God. I pray for the person in the room that doesn't believe that that's possible for them. God, meet them where they are. Reveal yourself to them. Draw them close. Let them know 
that Christ's death and resurrection was sufficient. And for the person in the room that thinks that they're good because they've done enough good to pay you back, Father, I pray that you would reveal to them that they need you just as much as the next person. God, be with us. Be praised. Be glorified. And would you send us out as redeemed people, confident that we've been chosen and set apart by you. Thank you for your blood. Pray this in your name. Amen.